You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. I love the time of worship uh, we just had. Can we, can we do something? Because as we were singing one of those songs, I just want us to do something real quick. If we could just close our eyes. We sang a line about trading our fear for his peace. And as we were, as we were worshiping with that line, worshiping with that song, I just began to think about how many that might be here this morning that is struggling with that. Like there's some things in circumstances in your life that's just causing um, fear. Let's just take a few opportunity, a few moments to trade that fear for the peace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, as Pastor Farrell mentioned, we are getting into uh, the book of John, and we're going to talk about the miracles of Jesus. Uh, what we just did for those few moments trading fear for peace, I believe for at least a few of us, or I wouldn't have felt led to do it, a few of us needed to do that first uh, before we got into his words, that the, the word can begin to, to be planted in our hearts and our souls. The miracles of Jesus. Found in the Gospel of John, we'll see, just, we'll see Jesus perform miracles out of compassion. We will see him perform miracles to reveal his Father. And we will see Jesus perform miracles to confirm his identity as the Messiah. The reality is that we experience the miracles of Jesus, the miracles of God, every day in life. It happens to be one of the things that I really like to, to pay close attention to. I'm one that uh, when I see the mountains, when I see the beach, uh, when I see those things, I realize that that's God working in the miraculous for me, right? Because those things for me just bring such joy, seeing the, the, the mountains and the beach. And, but God is working in miraculous ways every day in our lives. If, if we're not careful, we're waiting for the next big thing and we're missing all the small things that God is doing in our lives. Is he going to perform big miracles? Absolutely, he'll do that. Right? He'll do that. But it's the moment by moment, the day by day, that we need to be paying close attention to and, and realize that God is working in miraculous ways around us, moment by moment of every day. If you are a husband here this morning and your wife is with you, can you just turn and look deeply into her eyes? I'm going to hold it out just long enough to make it really awkward. She loves you. Miracle. <laughs> right? Man, when I, th- when I think about my own marriage and some of the things I've, I've uh, done and said to my wife at times, it is a miracle she still loves me. My wife was in Texas the past few days. She left early on Thursday morning and came back late last night, which means... I was at home uh, those days with my five little ones. I'm here today. Miracle! <laughs> right? We need to celebrate those things. I think we need to celebrate every breath that we're able to breathe. When I think about how our bodies are so intricately made, things, for the most part, work like they're supposed to. Crazy. 
when I think happy thoughts, miracle, right? Jesus wants to perform miracles in our lives, not just in these huge, enormous ways that we would wait for and expect, but he wants to do these crazy, cool, small little things in our lives that would reveal who he is in our lives moment by moment of every day. Our God is the God of the miraculous who reveals his power in our lives and works for our good. Let me read the the verse that we'll be covering over the next few weeks, John 20, 31. It says this, but these, speaking of the miracles recorded in the book of John, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We may have life in his name. You know, God performing miracles in our lives and, and around us, I think, proves to us that he's working for our good. His intentions for us are always good and always so loving. And I think as we realize those moment-by-moment things that he's doing, we understand him more and more with each one of those moments. The seven miracles recorded in the Gospel of John are given as signs to reveal who Jesus was and what he came to bring. You know, I love God's word. I love the fact that, that this word that was, was breathed or penned or written so many years ago is, is so applicable for my life today. The more and more I spend in it, the more and more I see who God is, the more and more he's revealed to me, the more and more I see what he wants to do in my life. Mark Batterson says this, every miracle is a microcosm. They don't just reveal what Jesus did, past tense. They reveal what he wants to do in your life, present tense. Because we see these stories in scripture of Jesus performing these miraculous things, we can believe today that he wants to do the same thing in our lives today. So each one of us came this morning with circumstances in our lives that we're facing where some of you literally may be here this morning saying or thinking, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. And if that's you, God wants to show up in your life. He wants to show up in your life. Because the God that performs miracles that we read about in Scripture is the same God that wants to perform miracles in our lives today. Jesus is the Son of God, and he came to bring life. Not an ordinary life, but an extraordinary life, or extraordinary life. As that thought came to my mind, I began to think about this word extraordinary or extraordinary. And I think that this is, an, uh, this is one word, and there's many, that in the English language we just do not get right. Extraordinary. So let's break that down. Extra meaning added to an existing or usual amount. Ordinary meaning with no special or distinctive features. Normal. I don't think that any one of us in here, I hope not. If you are, come up to me afterwards and let's pray together. But I hope none of us come before God and we just expect more ordinary. Right? So would you agree to say that in our English language, we've got this word, we've got this word wrong. It's messed up. But when I say extraordinary, what do we think of? 
Ain't just crazy, awesome, cool. Jesus came that we might experience an extraordinary life, not just more ordinary. When Jesus is involved in life, or when Jesus is involved, life isn't lived with no special or distinctive features, normal, as the definition of ordinary is. Jesus comes and radically changes ordinary and makes it outrageous. He transforms our natural into supernatural. See, that's what Jesus came to do in our lives. So in the mundane things that happen day by day, could it be that we should be expecting the miraculous even in those things? What about in the struggles? Whether they be small struggles or complications in life to the large struggles and large complications in our life. Perhaps, perhaps instead of seeing those things that are, are, are things that are coming against us, perhaps we begin to look at them as opportunities for Jesus to do the miraculous in our lives. For me, a lot of things for me is just about perspective. How am I looking at what I'm facing? What is my perspective of that? What is my expectation of God at work in that? See, we can expect God to work in miraculous ways in our life. Listen to this quote. Before the water turned into wine, someone had to do the ordinary, tiresome task of filling the water pots. We want the new wine to just appear. But Jesus calls us to fill the jars first. In short, God often wants us to participate in our own transformation. Feel free to say amen at any point of time. <laughs> Let me read that last line again. Not so now you'll say amen, but just because it's important. God often wants us to participate in our own transformation. Amen. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I wonder how many times we've come before the Father. I know that I have. I've come before the Father and, and lifted my hands and in, in prayer, asked Him for what I need, and I kind of sit back and just expect Him to do it. Sometimes I think about the things that I've asked God to do in my life as far as as change and transformation. But this point kind of faces me in the eyes to say, I have to be a part of my own transformation. I have to be a part of my own transformation. God is inviting us this morning. He's, he's inviting us for the rest of today, the week, the month, the year, the years to come to be a part of our own transformation. Let's read this story. It's found in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we're going to start in the first verse. The, the passage will be up on the screen for you if you want to follow along there. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my, <laughs> he's laughing over there. What's... Why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, I love this because he's like, mom, what do I have to do with this? And then his mom turns and says, listen to whatever he says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
Here we go. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. So not typically used for wine, but used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. I love that. Filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. This is a a fun wedding, isn't it? But you have saved the best till now. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. In this story, Jesus stepped into the crisis at the wedding feast and turned it into an opportunity for celebration. If we think about this, I don't know. If, you, uh, if you've ever thrown a party and you begin to, to run out of food and as you get down to where there's, there's no food left or no drinks left, you get a little stressed out. I mean, this is what's happening there. In fact, it might be a little more important uh, what's taking place at this wedding feast culturally. And culturally, they would have had at least all of their friends and family there. Perhaps most of the town would be there. They come to a place where I don't know how much wine was involved at the beginning of the story, but we see that somewhere along the line, all the wine that they did have or that was provided is gone. It's gone. What would have been a point of public shame became the backdrop for Jesus' first miraculous sign. Let's look at verse 6. I'm one that uh, I've been following a life journal reading plan for some years now, which takes me through the entire Bible uh, in a year. And and so now I've gotten to the point where I can kind of slow down as I get into a story. I'm pretty familiar with it and or a passage of scripture. I'm pretty familiar with it. So what I've begun to do the past few years is to slow down and look at the details of what's being spoken here. And sometimes it's just for fun and and sometimes it has deep meaning. But I, I want us to see this because I think there's some meaning in the details that I want to look at. At verse 6, it says this, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So six jars, each one of those holding 20 to 30 gallons. So let's just say 25 gallons. I brought a, uh, a bottle of wine from home. Not my home. What are you thinking of? Mike's. I asked Mike. No, I'm kidding. It's just used for cooking purposes. <laughs> it's closed. Come on, it's closed. So let me tell you about this bottle of wine because some of you are judging me. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I went to Olive Garden and 
before we ordered, you know, the waitress comes by and says, oh, they have this new wine special and they're giving out free samples. Would we like a, a sample of their wine? Now, I'm not a, I'm not a wine drinker. I, I'm just, I just don't like it. But I was like, yeah, I mean, let's do it. You know, it's just you and I. When you have kids, as many kids as we have at home, the more wine you can consume at dinner, the better. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Shoot, I just lost my job. So anyways, I was like, yeah, let's, let's, have, a, let's have a glass of wine. My wife uh, agreed to that, and so we had the glass of wine, and it was, actually, it was actually okay. I mean, it wasn't bad. It's not something that I would continue to drink because, you know, I like my wine really sweet and no alcohol, but they call that Welch's on the bottle. <laughs> so this, this bottle, they, they come to you afterwards, and they ask you how you like the wine, and, and I liked it. And I can't believe that they talked me into buying a bottle. So I, I bought a bottle, and so this is been sitting in my closet for I don't know how many years now. If you want to wait through all three services uh, and come to me afterwards, we'll bid it. You'll just start a little auction on this bottle of wine. All proceeds going to grace, of course. So here we go. Here's this bottle of wine. As we look at the six jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons, so let's just say right in the middle, 25 gallons. That's six times 25, six jars times 25 gallons equals 150 gallons. 150 gallons of wine on the wall, 150, no. 150 gallons. You know how, do you know how many of these bottles 150 gallons is? Does anybody want to just shout out a, a, a guess, an answer? 750, okay. Hey, did you, were you at the first service? Who was that? You just know your wine, don't you? You know your wine? <laughs> Man. Well, let's just close in prayer. <laughs> so, <laughs> 150 gallons would be 756 bottles of wine. 100, 150 gallons, 750. Now, let's think about this, because this is after they've already gone through however many bottles of wine they already have. Yeah, we have this situation that could have brought shame and humiliation and, of course, stress and anxiety. I love how Mary, mom, just, just listen to whatever he says. I don't know. I mean, Jesus could have picked a number, I, I guess, but he, he saw six jars. Told him to fill it. They filled it to the brim. Jesus turns 150 gallons of water into 750. 56 bottles of wine. Now, why is that so important to me? It's important to me because I see that Jesus provides way more than what's needed. Way more. I mean, I I think that Jesus probably would have been familiar with wedding feasts at at this point. I mean, at this point, he's probably around the age of, of 30. He's probably been to a few weddings, a few wedding feasts. He's probably familiar with what happens, he, he probably could have looked over at the six jars and said, ah, we just need one jar or, or, or two jars. But he looks over, he sees six empty jars, and he says, fill them. All six. Jesus provides way more than what was needed. I love this too. Oftentimes, if you, if you do a study on wine, oftentimes what we see in Scripture is that the abundance of wine is a sign of God's blessings. And this is the first miraculous thing that, that Jesus does. He turns not just a little bit of water, not just what was needed. 
into wine, but way more than what was needed. He turns into wine. I think this was a sign of Jesus being this abundant blessing in our own lives. So let's look at this sign, water turning to wine. The water to wine miracle revealed Jesus' divine nature. His divine nature. I often wonder and think about what it would have been like to be the parents of Jesus as he was born as a baby, as he was a little boy, uh, as he came up through school, as he turned into a 12-year-old boy, uh, as he became a teenager, as he got his donkey license. Oh, good. They laughed at that one, Pastor. I, my, my donkey joke in the first service didn't go well, it, I, but I changed it. I made a note and I changed it. Got his license to try. He, he becomes a young adult. Now he's 30. I mean, let's think about just for a moment, like your cousin, a cousin that you spent a lot of time with growing up. So you, you know them. A cousin you've had fun with. A cousin you hung out with. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus, who these people, they know him. Now he steps up and here's a miraculous thing that he does, turning water into wine. This first miraculous sign was revealing the divinity of Jesus. Maybe for the, maybe for the first time, some who have heard Mary talk about her son Jesus and who he was, maybe for the first time, a few started to believe. Like, oh. Uh, apparently Mary, she was sold on it. She just, hey, do what he says. But what about his cousins and other family? What about his friends? And they're seeing Jesus, the Son of God, perhaps for the first time. The marriage feast miracle reveals that Jesus is concerned with the small stuff in our lives. Listen, that needs to, that needs to sink in. He's concerned with the small stuff. In our lives. I don't know what would have happened if he would have decided not to turn water into wine. Jesus was thinking forward to the cross at this point. That's why he makes the comment, my hour hasn't come. Because he knew as soon as, this, as soon as he stepped out into this, he's on the road to the cross. I don't know what would have happened at the wedding. But what I do see happen is that Jesus cares about the small stuff. The first miracle could have been a blind person or a crippled person or raising the dead. That would have been a good one, right? But he chooses this. Some of us in here, we have a hard time believing. In fact, I've gone through stages in my life where it's, it's hard to believe that Jesus cares about the small stuff. Many times, even in our prayers, we think he's just kind of overlooking those things. Listen, Jesus cares about the small stuff. Just as the water was transformed to wine, so Jesus came to bring transformation. I love this. You know, I'm one that I have to pray for this. I have to pray for this every day in my personal life, transformation, because I know, I know who I am. I know David. I know the transformation that's still needed. But just as we see this water that's turned into wine, Jesus is wanting to step into our own life, our own world, and transform us. 
What does that transformation look, look like? It looks like us becoming more like him. Jesus came to bring a solution for humanity's problems. I don't know about you, but I mean, lately in the news, I mean, everything's just so crazy. I hate even listening to the news or watching the news. But I still get caught up in it. This whole coronavirus thing that's, that's happening and everything that's happening in politics, everything that's happening in the church around the world. Listen, Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to all of our problems. And we'll look in so many different directions for so many different sources or solutions, but Jesus is the answer to our problems. All of our problems. Now what's crazy awesome about this is you have the answer to your neighbor's problem living inside of you, working in you, working through you. Like if, 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 if each one of us, we had the cure to the coronavirus when it first popped up on the scene, right? When we were first made aware of it. If we had the cure for that, if you had the cure for that, how many of you would have been online on the phone as quickly as you could to say, wait a second, this doesn't have to be a problem. I had the cure for that. Anybody raise your hand if you would do that. You'd be emailing, you'd be phone calling, you'd be doing whatever you need to do. Say, I have a cure for that. But sometimes we hold on tightly to the cure that's found in Jesus. The, the cure to all of the humanity's problems. The one who's living and residing in us and working through us. Sometimes it's, it's as simple as just stopping to have a conversation with the person in the checkout line, the person in the cubicle across from you at work. Jesus brings the solution to humanity's problems. Let's talk about making way for the miraculous. How many of you are systems people? You like to see the process. You like to know what steps. For me, I'm like, I know step A. I know step Z. Let's go. So how do we make way for the miraculous? Only God can perform miracles, but nearly every miracle has a human element. We experience the miraculous as we choose to partner with God. As we choose to partner with God. When I see the miracles that are recorded in John, I think that most of these miracles, if not all of these miracles, could have just been done outside of any uh, human interaction. But it's not. God chooses to use us, and when we partner with him, that's when the miraculous takes place. Years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the Philippines, and we were in Mindanao, on the island of Mindanao, and we were going into the, the jungle, and so we would drive for hours before we, we got anywhere. And the purpose for us being there is we were working with another organization where we would go into some villages where uh, typically it was a very young person that had gone in, was from there, would go to school, and then come back and, and, and just start discipling people, start teaching people. Their hopes were to have churches in, in all of these villages, and so we partnered with them. We would go in and we would have crusades. What I really felt like when I was over there was just the white people would attract the Filipinos. Because the Filipino pastors and, and leaders and young people, man, they had it going on. In fact, I sat back in awe of what they were doing, thinking, man, if we would only do this in America. But I had the opportunity to, to go, and, and I knew going into it 
that at the end of each crusade service that we would be praying for people who were sick. We would pray for people who were blind. We would pray for people who were crippled. We're out in the middle of the jungle. They didn't have access to doctors and to hospitals. And so I knew this going into it. And I have to tell you that even though I have complete faith in who Jesus is and how God continues to work today, I was scared to death. I mean, I've prayed for headaches and I've prayed for stomach aches and. But to be in front of somebody who needs this type of healing, this type of miracle, I had never been exposed to that. But here I here I was, I found myself. At the first crusade of our trip and at the end of the night, I was sweating and scared and they call us up. And so now I'm up front and. The person leading was just going to call people to now come and and form lines in front of each of the leaders that were up there to pray for people. And I noticed that there on the way into the crusade, that there was a a man being led. He was blind. I also noticed that when the leaders gave the invitation for people to come forward, that that guy stood in my line. (laughs) Oh, man. He was third in line, and I can't, I can't even remember what I prayed for for the, for the first two people. But now he's standing in front of me, and this is the first time that he's so close. And as, as he looked towards me, he was much taller than I was, but as he looked towards me, his eyes were completely white. And I, re- I remember just the, the anxiety that was gripping me of, man, what in the world do I pray? I can remember as God gave me some peace. He also began to speak and say, you know what, just begin to thank me out loud for his healing. So that's what I began to say. Thank you, God, for his healing. Thank you, God, for his healing. Thank you, God, for his healing. The translator was speaking that to him, and he was repeating it. And so I had my eyes closed, and my head bowed, and my hands up, and I just kept saying that over and over. And this guy kept saying it over and over and over. And then he got quiet, and I repeated it just a few more times before I noticed that he's no longer saying it. And when I looked up, he was looking at me in my eyes, and he had color. Amen. And he began to shout. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's awesome. He began to shout of his healing. The funny thing was, uh, when he began to shout of his healing, like everybody else that was seated came and stood in my line. It's like, oh, man. I I don't say that story. I don't tell you that story because it involved me. I tell you that story because it involved a human. Which just happened to be me. Every miracle that we see happen, there's this element of, of humanity being involved, interacting with the move and the power of God to see the miraculous come about. So making way for the miraculous. Obedience to God's word opens the way for God's work. To be honest, if I would have had my choice, I probably wouldn't have been one standing up front praying. I'd have been like, hey, let me, let me on stage. Let me play keyboard. Let me lead worship. Let me, man, standing down front and praying for those people. Because I don't know about you. Sometimes I think, well, what happens if the healing doesn't take place? So much stress is, when, is relieved in our lives when we realize it's not about me. I don't have to decide what's going to take place in those moments. I just have to obey. Isn't it funny that when we look in Scripture, 
God's already told us to pray for the sick to see them healed. How many of us pray about praying about? (laughs) So it's just about obedience. Obedience to God's word opens the way for God's work. C.S. Lewis said this, obedience is the key to all doors. I love this verse in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. Obedience is the key. Oh, sorry. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations. Listen, as we partner faith and action, the stage is set for God's work. Partnering faith with action. Jesus gave the instructions to fill the jars with water. How many of us would have needed to explain to Jesus that water is not what they were wanting? Oh, Jesus, I mean, listen, I don't think you understand what's happening right now. When our faith turns to action, we move beyond the believable to witness the unbelievable. It's not about what we have seen or experienced before. It's about making way for the one who breathed life into a lump of clay to move. Isn't that what it's about? Making way for God to move in our lives, through our lives, and in the lives of those around us. The purpose for the miraculous is for God's glory. And so more people will believe. So more people will believe. That's what it's about. It's about being obedient and making a way for God to move in miraculous ways so that more people come to know Jesus. I want to read this last passage of scripture. It's found in Psalm 77. This is the New Living Translation. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. Oh God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. Some of us this morning need to take just a few moments and see the God of great wonders. See the God that continues to move in miraculous ways in our life today. See the God who wants to transform us. See the God who wants to transform those around us. You are the God of great wonders. Some of you today, and I I felt this the first service, and I, I feel it the same. I think some of us need to do this in a literal way today. But some of us need to go home this afternoon and begin to gather some empty jars. And after we've gathered the empty jars, fill them to the brim with water. And then let's wait for God to to move and work. Let's wait for him to speak into our lives. How does he want to work? What does he want to do? See, the same Jesus we read about in the Gospel of John is the same Jesus working in our lives today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't stop believing. Can we stand as we close in prayer?
As I look around the room and we're standing in, in, in prayer, I see each one of us as that empty vessel. Let's close our eyes. Let's just begin to have a conversation with God as we close to say, God, fill us up. Fill us up. Could the result of today in these next few moments be that our neighbor comes to know Jesus, that our coworker comes to know Jesus, that our family members who we've been praying for for years, that they come to know Jesus. See, that will happen. That will take place when people see Jesus in us. And it's just about us being this empty vessel for God to fill, for transformation to take place. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great, your awesome, your mighty works, your wondrous works. God, may we be a display of your wondrous works. May we be a display of your, your glory. God, in these closing moments, fill us up and transform us to become more like your son, Jesus, so that we leave this place as we go to work tomorrow, as we go back to our neighborhoods, as we have conversations on the phone, that people would see, hear Jesus in us. Thank you, O God, for your work. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.